En Route, a podcast about a couple of guys that enjoy sharing thoughts and going deep into conversation. Take us en route to your next destination. We are never running out of topics. Welcome back to Never Running Out of Topics. Tom Stott here, going solo today. My good friend and coach, Dr. David Welch, was traveling last week. We just did not line up schedules as I ended up having a race myself over the weekend on Saturday. It took me about four hours longer than I planned on, on being out there. So it was a long day by the time we linked up to try and do something that was already pretty late. So I wanted to get something out today here. So what I thought we'd do is take the time to unpack a little bit more of my history with running and what I've dealt with because as uh, Dr. David and I mentioned before, you know, what we see about what people put out there on social media is for the most part, pretty positive, right? You know, nobody wants to see a lot of negative news. We get a lot of that thrown in our face enough as is, but it's nice to see that other people struggle, right? I mean, you don't want to see people struggle, but when you hear that somebody that you think has it all put together also has a difficult time with something that you find completely unnerving, there's something that just it touches the human condition. It makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. So now I hear this all the time. I've treated people in the medical setting, runners for you know almost 20 years. And I hear all the time that, that oh, you must be so lucky you have all the answers. And I, I don't. I'd be the first person to tell you that I'm, I'm trying to learn every day. And I don't know everything there is about running, nor do I know everything there is about even my body, let alone the human body. So when something comes up, a lot of times, and I've posted this on social media before, you should be happy when I get hurt. Now that sounds really bad, right? But when I get hurt, when you go through through something personal, expect that I become as educated as I can on it, right? There's so much to know. So we tend to focus on the things that affect us the most. And for example, when uh, I had a rib dislocation that hung around with me for a few days before I even knew that it was sitting not in the right place, I just thought something had subluxed and it was sore. But I took my shirt off and had my wife palpate on my chest right there close to my sternum. and We saw something was sitting up. I mean, best believe I I started learning a lot more than I did about ribs before. There's just, it's hard to specialize in the human body uh, when we, when everything is so generalized, right? So yeah, you have a new appreciation and anytime something comes across my radar, I feel like it broadens my horizons. Now I do definitely enjoy being healthy and injury free as best as possible, but we're all works in progress. And that's the point that I'm really trying to get at is that 
you might look at me and say, oh, well, Tom's that guy that runs this running website and he's coached me before or maybe he's taken me through a couple bouts of physical therapy. He's got it all figured out. Well, let me tell you some of the stuff that I've dealt with and some of the things that I still deal with and do almost on a daily basis to keep myself going. So we'll start down at the feet. So you look at the foot and it's this highly mobile structure that should completely adapt to the ground when it hits and should be pretty fluid. And my feet growing up were, were anything but that. I think back to rollerblading down the hill in front of our house with my best friend, Eric Tremper. And that dude would sit like butt to his heels and with his rollerblades on, with his skates on right, and like roll down the hill the entire way, like completely squatted down. And I thought, I thought, I just thought he was a freak, right? I said, that's not possible to do because I had no shot at doing that. When I started to, I mean, knowing what I know now, I had zero ankle mobility, like negative even. Um, when I went to go sit down, like, you know, butt all the way to the back of my rollerblades, my rollerblades would shoot out. Like I'd flop and fall right on my butt. So I learned pretty quickly not to attempt that with any type of speed behind me. But yeah, super tight ankles, really restricted mobility in the ankles, which led to some really crummy stuff in my freshman year of high school when all of a sudden, you know, I had no issues playing fall football, winter basketball, spring baseball, swimming and playing soccer in the neighborhood and football through the summer. When I was diversified in my movement, I had no issues with any type of repetitive injury. But when I got to high school and it was time to pick a sport and I was this little string bean of a kid going up against these men on the football field, I was like, I don't want to die. So I looked into some other things. I didn't do anything my freshman year in the fall. I well, what I did was I played at the rope swing a lot just down the just down the hill from our high school. But come winter, I ran track, and I thought I was a sprinter. Uh, my buddy Christian Segura and I were about the fastest two kids in our middle school. So I came into high school feeling pretty confident about myself, and that quickly went out the window as a not yet developed, you know, not a lot of power behind me. Uh, freshman hopping into the uh, high school track scene in Montgomery County, Maryland, there was quite a good amount of competition. Okay, so I was going to these meets and hanging around for 10 hours to get dogged in a couple races. And it just, I, I, I had fun though. I had so much fun being in that environment. But I stuck around and Come springtime, my coaches kind of told me, you know, Stott, you, you're not really getting tired in practice. You seem to have a ton of energy. Let's move you up into some of the mid-distance and distance events. And the first time I ran the mile is when I fell in love with it. Absolutely in love with it. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, right? Matias Palavicino, this storied athlete already in high school as a sophomore, um, and is still absolutely killing it these days in 2019. Um, I stepped out on a track with him and I remember the gun went off and I was like, I'm a sprinter. We sprint. And I went for it straight from the gun, straight into the lead. No idea what I was doing. I came through two laps in the lead. My third lap, I started to feel the weight of the entire world on my shoulders. 
as my body just started to shut down. And then going into the fourth lap, I just, I, I thought I had fallen in a tar pit at this point. And I had about 10 grown men pushing me down. But I did finish the race. Uh, it collapsed. It was like a, it was like a Roger Bannister collapse over the finish line, right? That's how epic I made it look. I did not win. I think I got third in that race. But I, I was like, this is it. This is where I need to be. This is the level of, I didn't know what suffering yet was, but that's that that part of me that I needed to explore. So as I started to do more and more of this distance work where I'm logging mileage and mileage now, this is when the lack of ankle mobility that I carried through my childhood really started to to bite me in the butt, or specifically in the shins, in the form of really bad shin splints, like not medial tibial stress syndrome where it's this inside area of the leg and it's kind of on the muscle. This was like straight up bone to the point where like my dumb ass was rubbing ice cubes to numb my shins before practice so that I could then go run on numb shins. And by the time I worked my way into about a mile worth of running, my bones were like, well, I guess he's not stopping. So the pain signals would subside at least some. So Definitely a ton of shin splints, turned into stress fractures, some chronic stuff a couple times, ended up, it just moves up the chain, knees, nothing really at the hips, it's kind of stopped at the knees, but man, if I could have gone back to that Tom and just gifted him, I don't even, I don't even need to be faster, if I could have just gifted that little dude, that tiny little human, some ankle mobility, oh my gosh, if I know, if I know if I knew back then what I know now, that would have been, uh, that would have changed childhood, right? So moving up from the ankles, you know, the knee, when we talk about the knee in the in the medical field and the, the scope of running things, it's really this crossroad to injury when we have issues there. Few times have I found it with patients to be like a true problem in the knee. Most of the time, it's a lack of some type of ankle either stability or mobility. So I've been talking about mobility. Like if you had me take a take a knee and try to drive forward, like I'm shifting my body weight forward, I couldn't, I don't think I could have done much at all. So that knee could not come forward much over top and translate over that ankle. But aside from mobility, you also need stability, right? So take somebody else that maybe has some excessive mobility and have them stand on one leg. And if you see their foot collapsing and moving all over when it should be just fighting for balance, there could be a stability issue there as well. And looking into uh, what I was lacking back then, oh man, it's just so I really, really wish I had that mobility. But moving up to the knee, what ends up happening without that stability in the ankle is you get a little bit more play in the knee. This knee essentially, it allows for some rotation so that it, you know if we take an awkward step, it can still protect us. But you can largely think of the knee as almost like an elbow, right? Like a hinge joint. Okay, it's not a hinge joint, I know. But if you think about it that way, Where are you going to add torque, which we don't like in machines, uh, when it becomes excessive or outside of its scope? But if we add excessive torque down at the foot and ankle or excessive rotation, these moments of rotation from an instability in the hip, 
that ends up affecting the knee. So, so many times, more often than not, if you're like, dude, I've had knee problems my whole life, you've probably had those knees worked out quite a bit at some point with a physical therapist, with a chiro, with a personal trainer, athletic trainer, somebody in the training staff. Somebody's probably touched and worked around your knee. And if it's not fixed it, because everything, everybody should be looking for a fix. If it hasn't fixed it, you need to look down at the foot or up at the hip, right? So I had some knee stuff. I know now it was related to my ankles, but then my poor hips moving up the chain higher. My hips crisscross applesauce was like stabbing me with hot pokers. There was nothing I liked doing about that. And I remember getting in trouble for like, Tom, you got to sit crisscross applesauce in like second grade. And I just could not do it. I had zippy external rotation. I, I still, I'm work, I've worked on that a ton. I have way more than I did. But I had zero internal rotation. I mean, no ability to to move my legs around. So let's recap that in terms of the leg. It's zero ankle mobility, knees that were hurting, and no hip mobility. And I wanted to go run and run and run. So you could see where that caught up to me pretty quick as heading into my sophomore year in high school now. I'm getting ready to start running cross country in the fall, indoor track in the winter, and then outdoor track in the spring. So that's about to be year-long running. You know I'm going to train in the summertime. So it was just a really tough transition without that, without those tools that I needed to have, which is why I stress it so so big time for our parents with kiddos in middle school that are looking to go in this route. I'm like, get them into me now. Let's check things out now so that we can really be in front of this stuff before it ever really manifests. Heading out of high school and into college, I was talented. I, I was a definitely, if you had to describe me on like the basketball court, I was a hustle player, right? So I was coming off the bench, but man, I was diving for everything. And I, if I was out there for 90 seconds, you know, playing select league basketball in Montgomery County with some of those fellas, I mean, I was giving it my all. So I was a hustle player. I carried that mentality through track. You know, I, I, I think I had some pretty good talent. I think I had some natural skill with it. And I think I, I really enjoyed competing and racing. But I wasn't, I wasn't getting letters from people, right? I got Goucher College, I think was about the only school, maybe McDaniel, a couple Division three schools, might have sent me some letters, but but that was about it. And I knew I wanted to go to a big school, uh, being a social, I think pretty outgoing person. I knew I wanted to be around a bunch of people. So I talked to the cross country track coach at the time and I walked on the team and was able to fight for a spot right at the end at that like seventh, eighth varsity spot. You're not traveling, but you're going to run in some home meets and that was some of the coolest. Uh, that was some of the coolest days, coolest years of my life. It was the closest I've ever become to a professional athlete with access to a training room and a training staff and whirlpools, and it, it was a ton of fun. But I carried a lot of that immobility into college with me, and that's right around the time when I started looking more and more. I'd been reading books and like how to get through this and get through that. 
and help myself out in physical therapy uh, when you have to go to when you used to have to go to a library right to to check out books pre internet. But I got to college and I really started to dive into some of the kinesiology and the anatomy and biology and the body systems and really started to learn more and apply what I was learning because now I felt like I was finally arming myself myself with the tools to kind of get at this thing. And I just, I remember this run from springtime of my freshman year. So we're talking, it was actually winter. So really early on 2001, I was running past the Knox boxes in College Park and I took a left on Route 1 and I was still wearing Chopat straps, these one single straps that go around your patellar tendons. They offload a little bit of pressure. I'd still some chondromalacia stuff. It was now I know from my ankles, right? But I remember I just I was having a good day. It was a really good run. And almost like straight up Forrest Gump running out of his braces scene, right? But far less dramatic because I just had two strips of neoprene and Velcro on. I remember running down Route 1 and I was like, I don't think I need these anymore. Because I had started doing some mobility stuff and I thought it had been helping, but at that point, I'd run with something on my leg, a sleeve, a brace, a compression sock for like five years, you know, on or off. And I ran myself out of the neoprene brace. And that was the last time I ever wore it. It was really cool. It was like my Forrest Gump moment, right? So I, at that point, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty bulletproof. I'm now working in physical therapy. I'm learning a lot more like on the daily. I'm getting in front of everything. I'm rolling out some of the tight fascia uh, to make those planes slide and glide smoother over over themselves after having like never done anything like that and being super locked up everywhere. So I'm going into that mode now. And the next big piece to work on, because that's the ankles is what I've done is the hips and figuring out how to maximize that potential there. So start working more on hip mobility and the hip mobility and the ankle ability, mobility, that's definitely the cornerstone of like, Tom, what do you do on the daily? What's, what's your routine? It's mobility stuff with that. So I use a couple heavy bands anchored to something super stable. I have an eye bolt screwed into the wall, uh, into a stud, right? For sure, into a stud. And I work on some self-angle uh, dorsiflexion mobilizations. I've shot some videos of those and put them up on my some of my social media accounts in the past or the blogs that I've maintained. And then working on hip mobility, specifically internal rotation. Everybody will know external rotation if I were to sit back in my chair and cross my leg over my other, my right leg over my left leg by, say, putting my right foot up on the top of my left thigh, right? So external rotation there. We're talking about the other way. And this is kind of deceptive because I've seen it catch up to people in the crossfitting world lacking internal rotation because to get deeper into a squat, and we don't use this in running, so we'll come back to it in a second though. But to get deeper into a squat, you have to have internal rotation of the legs to keep a stable pelvis as you lower yourself down. Well, even though running requires such a smaller uh, total amplitude, uh, sorry, not amplitude, um, 
range of motion. I'll come back to whatever I was saying a second ago. Uh, It's such a smaller range of motion compared to like getting out of the hole, catching in the bottom of like a snatch position or a deep overhead squat where you're deep down in this position, tons of hip flexion running. You're like barely getting to hip flexion at all. Well, if you lack internal rotation, it's still going to have an effect on the joint kinematics in there. It's still going to mean that your muscles will have to work that much harder to pull you through any type of movement. So windshield wipers lying down on your back where you have your knees bent up, feet wide. You let one knee tip in, the other tip out. And then the knee that you let tip in, bring and let that tip out and cross over. So it looks like windshield wipers. You have your feet purposely outside of uh, hip and shoulder width, actually. They're really wide, like a couple feet, as you do this to expose a little bit of uh, extra, not stress in a bad way, but ex- a little bit extra overpressure as you push yourself into internal rotation. My thoracic spine, classically, is is pretty locked up. I had a terrible time slouching through school that I know people said stuff to me, but you know, you just don't, unless somebody finds a way to get it to stick there, you know, it's really tough to get through to, to school age children, which I'm chuckling now as I started teaching sixth grade science about a month ago. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting it a little bit more. <coughs> you learn every day, right? I certainly am. But back to what I was talking about, my, my thoracic spine, super, super tight, and all throughout school, being a little bit taller, I'm not, I'm certainly not super tall, I'm six feet tall, but slouching down on my desk, lowering myself down to, you know, closer to my pencil and paper. I just ended up having the spine that did not want to get into extension. So as I'm working on hip and ankle mobility, get on the foam roller and open up the thoracic spine because the thoracic spine is kind of underappreciated for how much it can contribute to running. You know, if our spine from our sacrum up to the head, from the tailbone to the head there, if that thing is made to support us, right? If it's our attachment point for a bunch of our muscles and our our limbs, right? So if, if that's our core, if we take part of that area and we freeze it, when I generate this strong, powerful movement from my arm, it's not going to be able to translate down as well if you don't have any rotation, if you don't have any extension. So the more that I've worked on it, the more powerful I felt running, working on that thoracic uh, mobility in the in the mid-back there. Don't have the best curvature to the spine to begin with. Um, I've had to work to, to get my lordotic curve present. That, I think, was just a lot of tightness uh, in those hip flexors from having those tighter hips. So thoracic spine, ankle mobility, hip mobility, specifically rotation. That's kind of what's in my top top list of go-tos. I'll spend about five to six minutes if I'm feeling, especially if I'm feeling a little bit tighter, but before a big effort or a long run. So that's a lot of my physical stuff. What's tough to, to work through and deal with is the mental stuff. And I think the mental stuff is, you know, the physical so easy to address in many regards because you're like, hey, my hip, it doesn't feel right. Cool. Do you have mobility? No. All right. Do that. You know, it gives you a starting place. 
And it seems pretty logical, right? But the mental side is so tough because you feel like you have yourself figured out. And right when you think you do, the rug gets pulled out. And you're like, hot oh, darn, I, I, why did I respond to that situation like that? Or why when I was racing, did I shut down like that? I would have never expected myself to do it. And a lot of it, you know, getting a little bit nerdy is hormone driven depending on where we're at. And remember, these our hormone levels fluctuate on the daily to accommodate for where we're at kind of in our own headspace. So we have constantly fluctuating hormone levels that do dictate the way, the ways in which we feel and, and certainly how we act. If I had to, you know, when you go for an interview and they're like, what's your biggest weakness? And you're like, well, you knew that question was coming, but in your head, you're still kind of like, ah, that question, right? I think my biggest weakness on my mental game is, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said self-sabotage, like going out and having a couple beers when I know I have a big race or a big workout coming up, you know, maybe not the next day, but the day after. So that that way, if I don't have a good workout, I'd be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have gone out. Um I've gotten better at not self-sabotaging. I'm still just hypercritical of myself. And, you know, I've worked a, through a bunch of uh, almost therapeutic ways to deal with this from like positive self-talk to uh, I got trained in Reiki. Uh, I'm a, like just, I'm a level one certified Reiki, you know, Reiki person, right? So, uh, it's something I would strongly suggest that anybody that's into movement, um, life, anybody that humans is good for it because it gives you an avenue. It gives you a way to deal with things that, that are, seem like they're out of control. It gives you a little bit of control of those back. So I'll, I'll explain a little bit more. It's Reiki is a Japanese technique that involves relaxation to promote healing. So the mantra that I use that my Reiki master kind of bestowed upon me is just for this day, I will not worry. Just for this day, I will not get angry. Just for this day, I will do my work honestly. Just for this day, I will be thankful for my many blessings. And just for this day, I'll be kind to my neighbor and all living things. And it starts out with on this day or just for this day, to kind of give you an out because look, life's going to get in the way stuff happens. If you messed up, just move on just for this day, kind of commit to one day at a time. It's a lot of this notion of like living in the present, right? So if I'm living in the present and I'm thinking about what I need to do to help myself out right now, then I'll probably be better off for it. Uh, not just short term, but in the long term. So from the mental game, that, that hyper critical sense of myself, I've been trying to incorporate that Reiki mantra whenever I've had an issue. So from a standpoint of like, well, I, I deal with some stuff, what should I do? You just got to find something that works for you. And that's kind of an, a way to, to side skirt the question. But I've known people that I thought would be great candidates for Reiki. And, and to them, it seemed too woo-woo. It seemed like, you know, even though I was coming at at it with a you know eight nineteen years in the medical field, and I'm a very hands on, I'm skeptical person at first, uh, and now we're talking about seven chakras and energy work. 
it seems a bit too fluffy for them, but you got to find something, whether it's as basic as, you know, finding an app with a guided meditation, five minute, you know, video each day, whatever the case. Um, I think the mental side of things is so under underdeveloped and underappreciated for how much of a toll it ends up taking on us. You know, we have these beautiful specimen bodies that just get wreaked havoc on by by brains that don't have the tools equipped to deal with the struggles and stresses and you know ordeals of modern society living that we're in. And then emotional. So physical, mental, emotional stuff is what I've found in working with people is a lot of it's tied to what's happened in the past and experiences that they kind of guide how you respond, not to just to situations um, at the moment, but how you will respond almost like you can predict them. We just had a post up on Elevation Wellness's site about how holding on to anger and resentment can steer yourself like in directions you don't really want to go to in the future. It can actually change the way that, excuse me, you make decisions about certain things. And that's something that, I mean, you want to be able to change and grow as a person. You don't want to be held back down by those things. So emotionally, I think just about everybody needs to start unpacking what's gone on in their lives and see if any of those things are unresolved because if they're unresolved, they're, they're, they're going to affect you some way emotionally at that emotional level. So for me, it was around food, uh, growing up in a household that was under a bit of turmoil from time to time with parents, right. And stuff going on. I remember when there was yelling, I remember, you know, and it took me a while to figure this out, but crunching on cereal because that crunching, you can't hear anything when you're doing it. Go ahead and take a bite of crunchy cereal and ask your ask your your spouse, your significant other, your kiddo, ask somebody to say something to you, you know, from the other side of the room as you're crunching like that freshly unmilked cereal, right? Where it's just your ears right there and you you can't pick anything up. I remember crunching on cereal to drown out arguments and yelling. And it took me years to kind of figure out that that was what I latched onto when I started to get stressed. I became, you know, your classic emotional eater. Sometimes, as I mentioned before, I'd use it to self-sabotage. You know, I have a huge issue with uh, cheese. I haven't eaten it in the longest time now. But before I committed to stopping... I remember going and like a couple days once again before a big race, I'd self-sabotage by like taking down an entire pizza, right? So it's so easy and it's so good, but so terrible to do that uh, it it just, it'd be my easy out, right? But um, from an emotional eating standpoint, uh, anytime I'd find myself stressed, I'd find myself eating. That was, you know, the taste and the flavors could give you that little bump, that little high of, I don't have to worry about anything else just for that time being. Even if that bite was just, you know, that handful of cereal, your crunch and seven seconds later, it's gone. 
Um, it's just enough of a fix. So figuring out how to deal with them is a whole nother issue, right? And something that's definitely not the scope of this podcast or my expertise. Um, but in talking with a handful of people, I feel like I'm getting that under control. So the physical, the mental, the emotional, I hope you have a bit more of an understanding on how much of a train wreck I really am, right? Like you are and like your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your significant other, how we all are is we're just humans in the end, right? None of us are perfect and we're striving to be our best. So if you'd like to comment on this or send me a little bit of your story, I'd love to see something. We have contact information through Facebook and through Elevation Wellness, through uh, Instagram, Elevation Running, Plant Power Running. I'll drop all that stuff soon, but I wanted to at least say that here. Thank you so much for listening. If you stuck it through, allowing me to share my story. I'll see you next time. Coach David will be back and we'll share some articles about the current state of women and running all these crazy contracts and pregnancy rules and pregnancy punishments, silly stuff. I'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Send us any comments, feedback, questions, or positive vibes on Instagram. David Welch can be found under the handle Plant Powered running all one word and tom stock can be reached at elevation underscore running we'll see you en route to your next adventure